Hey, if you are a guest, again, I want to say welcome. We value, one of our values we say at New Hope is we value radical hospitality. And part of that means is we want you to know that as you come into this place, that you are very much welcomed. But we don't just mean hospitality in this moment. Hopefully people are nice to you and welcome you and introduce themselves. But we are referring not to an event of hospitality or a place of hospitality. We're talking about a community of hospitality, which means we want to invite you into our community, into our family. And just want you to know whether it's a Sunday, whether it's during our community groups or other fellowships and activities, we want you to know that you're welcome and we are so glad that you are here. We want this to be a place where Christians can have fellowship and encourage one another, but we also want this to be a place were those who would say, I don't yet profess Christ, or maybe I'm here to ask questions or want to learn. We want you to know that we welcome you, and we want this to be a safe place for you to ask questions and learn and try to understand why we believe what we believe and what the Bible says about certain things. We are in a series where we are simply just talking about the measures of maturity. If we are desiring to grow in Christ— If we are desiring to grow in maturity in our faith, how do we know that that is happening? In the same way that if you and I go to a doctor's office to check on our health and the doctor has no standard to measure our health, how do we know if we're healthy or not? Likewise, we within the faith must to some degree have some way of measuring whether we're growing or not. And so here at New Hope, we Uh, have three measures or marks of maturity that we call that kind of give us a guide, and that's what we're talking through. And those are the three banners on this side of the building, my left, your right, three marks of maturity in our relationship to God, to one another, and in the world around us. We live surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, we live surrounded by a community of faith, and we live sent to the world around us. It, It speaks to our relationships. I mentioned we were going to talk about freedom a little bit, and as it relates to living surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, I came across a statement this week that true freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. In our culture, in our uh, individualistic Western culture especially, we are told from a young age that you can be whoever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do. That you should have the ability and no one should have the authority or the right to tell you you cannot be something or you cannot do something. We hear this message all the time. But I want to take a moment and I want us to reflect on that definition. Let's go at that definition for a second. If freedom is the ability to do whatever you want, can we just admit at times that we have conflicting wants? There's always, in most situations that I encounter, conflicting wants in my life. Simple example is, got a text message this afternoon from my wife. I was down in my office, and the text message said, if you have self-control, you can come up and eat some of the cheese dip I just made. Well, what she's, there's this problem that's about to happen. I want to eat all of it, but the self-control is I tend to overeat and I eat too much cheese, and then I have a cholesterol issue, right? And so I have two wants. I want to eat cheese, and I want to be healthy. Last night, I went to the grocery store, and I walked intentionally to the aisle of the ice cream because I wanted ice cream. I had self-control because then I had this competing want that said, no, you've been working out decently. Just keep it up. Turn around and walk away. So I did. I turned around, and I walked away. I was quite proud of myself. But we have competing wants, right? I, I want to go to sleep. Uh, I want to go to sleep 
uh, so that I can get up early in the morning and go work out, but I also want to stay up and watch TV. See, if freedom is the ability to do whatever we want, what happens when our wants compete with one another? Which one of those wants is the want that is going to liberate us? Which of those ones is going to be the one that's going to truly satisfy and set us free? And I want to challenge us today that that definition falls short of what true freedom is. When we think about freedom and liberty, it's even in our declaration of independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I will admit that there is some truth and some goodness to that definition, that there is the ability to do what I want. I'm grateful that I have the choice. In that sense, there is freedom, and I'm grateful that I have the choice. But I want us to see that the Bible shows us that true freedom is when we fulfill the calling or what we were created to be. That true freedom is that when we fulfill our deepest longings, true freedom is when we fulfill and do what we were created to be. Let me uh, illustrate that idea of freedom this way. I flew recently, uh, a lot of flying, and you know, every time I get in an airplane, I think like, how does this get off the ground? Like, it is all these people, it is so heavy, you know, all this luggage, how does this fly? But it does fly. But we understand that the freedom and for an airplane to do what it was created to do, it had to what? It has to first submit to the rules of aerodynamics, right? When there's, in order for something to fulfill what it was created to be, there is some form of submission that it must submit to. Let me give another example that I think, and I would affirm this, my wife is not here, so tell her I said these nice things about her later, but I am grateful that I have the freedom to walk into a marriage relationship with her, that I have the freedom to live out my love and care for her. But by walking into that marriage relationship, I'm also submitting to faithfulness to her. See, if freedom was the ability to do whatever I want, well, then I can't love her and live out my love for her and then also be unfaithful to her because those things don't go together. But living out my freedom and love also calls me to a form of submission. All freedoms come through some submission to a competing want. And so as we begin to think about the idea of freedom, what we see in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is this overall truth of today's text and today's sermon. Only when we lose ourselves in Jesus do we actually find ourselves in this world. Only when we lose ourselves in Jesus do we find ourselves in this world. That we lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. The culture's going to tell us that you find yourself in a lot of different ways, but I want us to see tonight that what the calling is of a faithful Christian, of any Christian, is to live surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus and that it's in Him that we actually find ourselves. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This was our text from last week, and this is the kind of the first part of the phrase, that we lose ourselves in Jesus. That it's in submission to Jesus, it's in surrender to Jesus, that then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable and perfect, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This phrase, do not be conformed to this world. There's a lot of different competing ideas, even I've already illustrated in this idea of freedom. There's a lot of different competing ideas between not only culture and Christianity or culture in the Bible, but even culture within culture. Uh, Let's take this idea of truth. There's two dominant definitions or discussions within culture that define uh, talking about truth, and it has been this way for centuries, at least with outside of Christianity, but even inside of Christianity. The first is demonstrated by one of materialism, that is, we'll give a, a quote from Bertrand Russell in a second defining this reality, but materialism basically says that all truth, there is no objective truth outside of the physical world, that everything of our five senses is the only thing that is, what we smell, what we taste, what we see, what we hear, what we touch, and then nothing outside of that actually matters or exists. There is no truth. There is no reality outside of this, that we are just all happenstance of atoms to be where we are today. Bertrand Russell says it this way, and let me read and quoting him directly. He says, mankind is the product of accidental collocations of atoms. So basically this idea that accident happened, atoms happened, all the noonday brightness of human genius is destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation be safely built. You know what he's saying? That there is no hope. That there is no purpose. There is no creator. That it's only in this despair can we build our lives. Not very encouraging, but he's at least being faithful to his philosophy of truth. He says this, the only way you can really make it in this life if you start with these facts, you're just an accident. You're going to die. The whole universe is going to die. There's nothing to you but matter. There's nothing to you but what you can taste, touch, hear, see, and smell. There is no truth, just scientific facts. I want you to see that that's a philosophical truth claim. There is no truth but scientific facts. You have to start with that and make sure you build your life on those facts and those facts alone. So on the one side, you have this idea that truth is only what can be discovered in science. And on the other side, you have this idea of relativism that says truth comes from inside of you. That truth is who you want to be. On one side, it says that because of materialism and science, there is no God. And on the other side, it says you can be your own God because you determine truth. You determine what is right. You determine everything. You get to do what you want to do. You get to be what you want to be. Now, looking at these two ideas, they seem very different, but actually they're, they're quite the same at the core. And what is it that they're saying at the core? That there is no truth and there is no God outside of those realities. There is no God outside of us. There is no truth outside of us. Either science is all there is in the material world or that we can't even really know truth. And so therefore truth is whatever you say it is. Freedom is freedom to you. Reality is reality to you. Whatever it is, you can be. And we see this. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. But when we look at do not be conformed to this world, that there's another way that it begins with this idea 
of surrendering first in Christ and allowing him to transform all things. Because it's in Christ that we understand that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are claims that he is making, and we understand and we believe that there is truth outside of us. Let's take this idea of there's no truth outside of us, then that means that there is no standard of truth of any kind, including morality. So if there's no truth outside of us, and there's no uh, objective truth from the sense of science, and there's no objective truth in the sense of truth can be whatever you want it to be, then that means there's nothing outside of us telling us that something's right or wrong. It's this idea that you can do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. That's one of the common ideas of freedom that you should be able to do, that our culture still has to have some standards because although you can do whatever you want, you shouldn't have the freedom to hurt someone else. Fair enough. I actually like that truth, but I want to see the contradiction in that in the sense of how do you define what hurts someone? And what gives you the right to even say that? if there's nothing outside of us that says what is right or wrong or what is hurt or what is not hurt. The point I'm trying to get at is, yes, I think there's a lot of validity in both philosophy and science. But if we have our framework of understanding knowledge and truth from conformity to this world, we will miss the whole idea of what it means to find freedom in this world. If we are going with the basis that I want to try to argue and claim tonight, that it's only in Jesus, only when we lose ourselves in Jesus, do we actually find ourselves in this world, that we actually find our purpose, we find our freedom, we find and be what God has created us to be. Because in the same way we argue with the airplane, that it's able to fly because it submits to its design and the law of aerodynamics. It has the freedom to fulfill its purpose. You and I also have the freedom to fulfill our purpose only as we live out in the way that we are designed to by our creator. And so do not be conformed to this world, but instead, what? Be transformed by the renewal of your minds. I know I'm throwing a lot of philosophy your way this week. You can tell um, what I've been reading for school uh, because it's, it's coming at you. But this week uh, I also read um, an idea dealing with science and philosophy from a scientist by the name of Thomas Kuhn, or Kuhn in 1962. He wrote the book, The Structure of Scientific Revolution. And up until this, up until this point, science had, had the theory that basically uh, the scientific method was, in a sense, you have a theory, You test that theory, and then you see the results. And if you can continue to repeat those results, then basically through inductive method of discovery, you can find out what is true and what science is and that kind of idea. It's the idea that if I take something and I drop it 100 out of 100 times, it's going to fall. Therefore, the theory of gravitation is thus somewhat proven. But what Thomas uh, Kuhn came along and did in 1962 with his book on scientific revolution, he said and made a revolution. That's the point here. He said, actually, scientific method isn't so simple. But in fact, he's going to say something that we now kind of take for granted, is that all of us come to, whether it be science, whether it be a book, whatever it is, we come to it with biases and previous culture and previous experience that changes how we look at the evidence that is in front of us. Meaning, that two people from completely different backgrounds, completely different knowledge, might see the exact same thing and actually see a different result or a different cause and effect. 
We understand that we come to different things with bias. That's one of the reasons why we could look at the same passage of Scripture potentially and come up with different conclusions about what it means. Because we have different experiences and we have different culture. What he's trying to say is that we have a framework that we bring to what we look at. I want to illustrate that a little bit with glasses. Some of you didn't know I had glasses. I, I do. Um, they're reading glasses. Actually, they are kind of blue tint glasses because I have a bunch of screens in my office and it makes my eyes hurt. So it's those, it takes all those blue lights and turn different. Um, two reasons why I have these particular glasses, because C.S. Lewis had round glasses and I want to bring my inner C.S. Lewis out. Uh, true story, actually. I was like, hey, if he wore them, maybe it makes me write better, you know, as a student. And then actually my professor, who's my supervisor, he also has round glasses. And so I was like, all right, well, he's really smart. So uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's the trick. Um, anyway, so I have these glasses. Here's how, how I want to illustrate this. When we talk about the idea, what does it mean to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds? And I'll, here's, here's what I want to do when I'm talking about the scientific revolution as it applies to what we're saying is that when we are not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewal of our minds, it's a challenge in light of verse 1 that when we lose ourself in Jesus and when we live surrender to the lordship of Jesus, he's not just forgiving us of our sins, but there's a revolution that is happening in our lives. It's as if you are putting on glasses, and I want to imagine, any of you seen the videos they get me. I cry in these videos. Um, where someone with colorblindness, someone gives them glasses that allows them to see color for the first time and watch them weep, I start weeping. That it's their reality changed because of the lens in which they look th- through that reality. When you and I give our life to Christ and we lose ourselves in Christ, it's like putting on glasses that allows you to see color for the first time or allows you to see reality for the first time. It allows you to see God's creation from his perspective and in his truth, and it changes everything. It changes how we think about freedom. It changes how we think about the purpose for our lives. And it's only when we lose ourselves in Jesus does he then give us his glasses and his perspective to allow our minds to be transformed to see from his perspective. Thomas Kahn in his book talks about the importance that in order for major revolutions to happen, to change, there has to be a framework change. Give an example. The uh, Protestant revolution or the Reformation from Catholicism to Protestantism was a moment of great revolution because they began to look at the Bible differently than they had for hundreds of years. And they began to see things differently. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but a revolution took place because they changed how they looked and understood things. When we begin to think about how we live in this world, Christianity is not just another piece of the puzzle of our lives. Well, we have science, we have this, we have this, we have this. Then on Sunday afternoons, I have Christianity. But what Jesus is saying to live surrender to the lordship of Jesus is to have a framework revolution shift in your life and it changes how you see everything. It's actually when I'm seeking purpose in my life, I'll never find it outside of Christ. Why? Because we were created for Christ. Let's keep reading the text and we'll see how it says that. It says that, um, but be transformed by the renewals of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. Just two things I want to I want to bring to your attention from this that I'll, that'll help finish and make my point. I think faithfully from the text is this phrase: "You may discern uh, what is the will of God." That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What, what is what does that mean? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. This is a good opportunity um, to help us understand what this text means. One of the best interpreters of the Bible is the Bible itself. And so I want to draw your attention to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is a text we read last week, but it uses the same word that is translated discern here. And so seeing it in that context may help us understand what it means in this context. If you're always, if this is a good example of how to study the Bible, if you're wanting to better understand something, find ways that certain words are used in other contexts and see if it helps you understand. But Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Discernment there is not what, it's not the same word as the discernment somewhere else. That could be confusing, but it's not. Same English word, different Greek word. But it's in verse 10. So that you may approve. Approve is the exact same word that is used in Romans 12 too. So that you may approve what is excellent. It's this idea, uh, Romans 12 too says that by testing you may discern. What does a test do? A test validates your knowledge of something. I hate tests, but we have them, and I understand the reason for them. It wants to make sure that my understanding of a topic is up to par. And so we take a test to see if we have the knowledge and we have the faithfulness and we have the right answers. And it's in this idea that when we have a framework shift that we are not conformed to the thinking of this world, but we allow Christ and our surrender to him to transform everything, to change how we look at the world. It is through that lens that we may be able to see what is right and true. It's the same way that when you, you can look at a test and see if someone knows something or doesn't know something, that test challenges the truthfulness of something. It is through Christ that we can then see what is true, what is faithful, And it says specifically his will, so that what? His good and perfect will. You know, the last word I want you to draw your attention to is that last word, perfect. I think when it says what is good and acceptable, we kind of understand that. We understand what a good is for us to have God's will and that it's good for us or that it's acceptable, it's what he wants. But what does perfect mean? And it's important to understand because perfect if we're not careful, it can be a little misleading here to think that living surrender to Lordship of Christ means that I'll understand what God wants and I have to live perfect. Now, there is a call to holiness and faithfulness, but it's not saying here you have to be perfect. Um, and again, I want to draw uh, your attention to another passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen as well, but Matthew chapter 5 This idea of the same word perfect is used here as well. Matthew chapter 5, I'm not going to read all of it, but we'll get to verse 48. So if you want to look at verse 48, it says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now again, this is a challenge to holiness. But in the context, it's in the context of not seeking retaliation. And it's in the context of loving your enemies. And he just gives some examples and he says, hey, if you love your friend, well, that's normal. Normal people do that. If you love people that are nice to you, that's normal. Normal people do that. 
But I'm telling you to love your enemy, to show grace to someone that is evil towards you. Now, you do that. That's different. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's hard. That's something that Jesus does for us. And then he makes a statement, therefore, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you're telling me if I just forgive my enemy, that makes me perfect? In one sense, yes, but here's the idea. And we're going to uh, get nerdy for a second, and then I'll, I'll close. The Greek word here is teleos. Why is it important for you to know that? Because I want you to hear the root of that, teleos. Telephone, telegram, television, all come from this root word. What are common? What does the tele have to do with all that? A telephone is you're able to talk to someone from a distance. Television, you're able to watch something that originated from a distance. Telegram, you're able to uh, receive something from a distance. Part of that idea of tele, teleos, is that there is a distance idea attached to this. Another way that this word is used, playing off that idea of distance, is it's used in this context to speak to the eschatos or that eschatology. It still has still part of that root word of how things are in the end. Teleology and philosophy speaks to the philosophy of end things. What is the purpose? It's another word for purpose. What is the purpose of this? It's what is the distance purpose? What, what is the finish line of all of this? So it speaks to a literal TV from a distance, but when it deals with ideas, it's speaking to what is the end purpose of this idea? Why am I doing this? It's a why question a lot of times. Meaning to be perfect, teleos, as your father is teleos. Or here, that you have God's will and his teleos. It's saying you're able the now to live as you were intended and purposed to live. It's speaking to the end result of why you were created. Hopefully that's not too confusing, but I want us to see what it means to be perfect. It's not just speaking to this reality of perfection as it relates to sin but it's speaking to perfection and wholeness as to us being who God had created us to be, which directly goes in line with the content and the faithfulness of this text, that it's in Christ we are then able to fulfill the purpose for why we were created. It's the reason for it. And when we think about Jesus, yes, we understand the, the facts of the gospel, which are because of our sin, we are in desperate need of a Savior. And we had a Savior who died in our place and that we put our faith and trust in Him, that He forgives us of our sins. But all of that is for a reason, to redeem us back and to be the people that God had created us to be and fulfill the purpose in which He had created us, which is to honor and glorify Him with our lives. You want to live a life of satisfaction in Christ? You want to live a life of purpose? It's fulfilling the reason why you were created in the first place. But that will only be discovered through looking at your life in the world through the lens of Christ. It's only as we, what? I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. As we surrender to Christ, As we go, God, my life is not mine, my life is yours, and we surrender all to you, then and then only are we able to go, we will not be conformed to this world. 
We will not allow the world to shape us and determine who we are. Because in fact, the world doesn't have the ability to answer that question. But in Christ, my mind is being renewed. And I am being renewed by the framework and the paradigm in which God has made me. I can be now what God has designed me to be in Christ. And I will know his good and acceptable and perfect will, meaning the will for my life and why I was created can be now fulfilled. You want to live a life that matters? Can't do that outside of Jesus. And then I want you to hear, if you're thinking about this, because we have a, a challenge, and I end with this illustration or this explanation. We have the temptation in Christianity a lot of times to go, well, God's will for my life is to not sin and be faithful, and so I got to do that. And and I've got to work really hard, and I've got to be a better Christian. Otherwise, I'm not living God's will for my life. That's, that's part of it. But you're missing the point if that's your takeaway from today. The takeaway from today is not you trying harder. The takeaway from today is might you lose yourself in Christ. A lot of times I might be watching TV, and my wife will, I hear her yell. Now, that's not the first time she's talked to me. Not yell, like angry, but like yell to get my attention because she talked normal and I didn't hear her. And then she talked louder and I didn't hear her. And then she goes, Jonathan. I'm just like, what, what? She's like, I'm talking to you. I'm like, oh, sorry. I, I can't help that I didn't notice you're talking to me. She's like, well, you're too focused on the TV. What was I? I was lost in the TV. I was so lost in it that I couldn't see that which is around me. That's maybe not the best illustration, but this is what it means to be lost in Christ. It's that we're so consumed by him that we're not distracted by the world around us. We're not distracted when it tries to turn us to these other ways and says, no, this is freedom or, or this is happiness or this is love. We go, no, no, no. We were created by a designer for a purpose and I want to fulfill that purpose and I can only fulfill that purpose through him. So the takeaway for today is to get lost in Jesus. And by getting lost in Jesus, you'll actually find yourself in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we want to be people who are forever transformed by you. We want to be people who, yes, receive your forgiveness, but I want to be someone who lives life abundantly in this world. That I, I want to be the person who is flying, so to speak, because I'm fulfilling why I was created to begin with. But an airplane doesn't get to choose its purpose. It gets to fulfill it. And in the same way, you and I don't get to choose our purpose. And Jesus, I don't get to choose my purpose. You created me, and I fulfill my purpose as I was designed to fulfill it, which is ultimately to live a life of worship and glory unto you. To find my all in you, to get lost in you, to find my satisfaction in you, my hope in you. Lover of my soul, satisfaction of my heart, Jesus. So, Father, I, I pray over this room, Spirit of God, that you would help us see the beauty of Jesus and get lost in him. And it's through that framework, through putting on Jesus, that then we are able to see your will for our lives, the design you have for our lives, and fulfill that purpose and live a life satisfied in you, Live a life on mission and purposeful because of you. Live in a life to the fullest because of you. That is freedom. Freedom 
Jesus, is me getting to do what you have created me to do. Not what I want to do, but what you've destined me to do. So Jesus, would you help me fulfill my destiny in you as a creation that worship and exalts you? And I pray that that would be true for this church. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.